this camp, Reverend Wade and I are teaching the sessions. He has the morning sessions. I have the Word Speaks in the evening. And these sessions are really tremendous for our people because we have coordinated all of our teaching as well as the hour of power to bring the greatest abundance to our people in the shortest period of time. This morning, Reverend Wade spoke to our people in the camp about the legal aspect of our redemption in Christ Jesus. And I have wanting to handle the vital aspect. He drew something on the board this morning that I had never seen done just this way, which set it before our people very beautifully and very wonderfully. He, he, on, on, on this side of the board, he wrote the word legal, and on this side of the board, he wrote the word vital. On the legal side, we have that which was done in Christ Jesus legally. On the vital side, you have that which you take from the legal side and put into practice in your life. I refer to it many times in the teaching ministry as our sonship rights or our sonship opportunities which we put into operation with our renewed minds by the power of God that's in us. Then he drew a line, a perpendicular line between the legal aspect of our redemption and the vital aspect, the practical side, putting it into operation, the vital side. He drew a perpendicular line and across that he wrote renewed mind. And that's it. You may have all of the knowledge of God's Word available to you. You may know what He accomplished for you legally, what all that redemption amounted to in Christ Jesus. But until you renew your mind and put on the mind of Christ up here and make it vital and alive in your living, it will not produce any fruit in your day-by-day -day walk. The basic scriptures for this particular renewed mind camp is found, one of the scriptures is found in Romans chapter 12. And in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the word transfigured. When you're born again of God's Spirit, you have Christ in you. Now you put on Christ in your mind. This you get a new figure in your mind. And when you get this new figure in your mind, old things pass away. Old actions, old vocabularies, the wrong kind. All of these things will go as we get a new figure, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. The reason we can renew our minds is because we had a mind to begin with. And as we renew our minds on that which we have in Christ Jesus, putting it in a manifestation, we prove, we prove, as it says in Romans 12 through 2, prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Without the renewed mind, you never put into concretion, into proof, what is that good and perfect and wonderful will of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is the other vital scripture for this 
renewed mind can. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And in the King James we read the following. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A tremendous verse of scripture. But last evening as we opened the camp, uh, the, the renewed mind camp, I shared with our people a literal translation according to usage that I had worked on of this 2 Corinthians 10.5. And I'd like to share it with this group in here tonight as well as with the people listening to the radio. If you'll get your pencils and you have a notebook, I'm sure, here in the auditorium, you may want to jot this down because it's a tremendous translation and it'll set this wonderful verse for you like perhaps it has never been set before. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A literal translation according to usage is demolish demolish your human logic from the high position to which you have lifted it vertically against the knowledge of God, which you know by experience. Be wise. Lead captive everything to Christ, which you have attentively listened to and heard. Now I'll give it to you again. The tremendous thing. Demolish your human logic from the high position to which you have lifted it vertically against the knowledge of God which you know by experience. Be wise. Lead captive everything to Christ which you have attentively listened to and heard. What a tremendous word of God. The word casting down in the King James is not quite strong enough it is casting down, if you got the picture right, it's casting down like you would have a building and you go in to destroy that building, to demolish it so that you can build something else there. That's the word casting down. And I believe most of our people, if they just read casting down, you'd think like taking a, a notebook or something and throwing it on the floor like I take this thing along the way. Here I am, cast it down. That's not the meaning of casting down. Casting down means to demolish, to totally get rid of it. Demolish your human logic. Because by human reason, you cannot know God. God is spirit and can only be known by other spirits. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. Remember? They're foolishness unto him. So, this is not the natural man we're talking about in this verse. We're talking about a believer who has had 
the knowledge of God's Word, he has attentively listened to and heard the Word of God, but he got caught in the society of his time, and he elevated his human logic. He elevated this against the knowledge of God. That's why he said, destroy your human logic from the high position to which you have lifted it vertically against the knowledge of God. They set their logic up here vertically against the knowledge of God, which they had learned by experience. They were born again. They filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is in Corinthians. And you know about the book of Corinthians. You know what it stands for. It's in the book of Corinthians that we have the manifestations listed and a lot of the other wonderful truths. But the church, the people, had lifted themselves vertically against the knowledge of God. He said to them, be wise. Lead captive. You lead captive. By the renewing of your mind, you lead captive everything to Christ which you have attentively listened to and heard. That's the renewed mind. Demolish everything from the human logic point of view which has taken you away from the knowledge of God's Word and so renew your mind that you will lead captive, lead captive everything to Christ. Everything to Christ. So, Tonight, as I handle the vital aspect of the renewed mind, building upon this basis, there are a number of questions I want to ask and we go to the Word for the answer. When it comes to God's Word, you settle for yourself in the renewed mind category. Does God's Word tell the truth? Secondly, will God keep His promises? And thirdly, is God able to fulfill what he has promised? I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John for the answer to one of them. The Gospel of John, the 17th chapter. In the 14th verse. In the 8th verse, by the way, you have the same truth stated. Does God's word tell the truth? Does he tell the truth? That's what we're after. He says in verse 8 of chapter 17, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Jesus talking about the words that he gave to the people which the Father God had given unto him. And in verse 14, I have given them thy what? Word. Not somebody else's word. Not the late news report. Not as I many times say in my classes, Life Looker, Time, Saturday Evening Post, Reader's Digest, but he gave them one thing, no commentary, just the what? The Word. I have given them thy Word. In verse 17, sanctify them, set apart, they're set apart, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is what? Truth. The Word is truth. Does he tell the truth? That's the question you have to settle in the renewed mind. This is first and foremost. And the answer from the word of God is that his word is what? Truth. And to the end we rightly divide that word, we have the true word. To the end we wrongly divide it, we have error, right? And yet even if we wrongly divide it, 
the truth of God's word is still true. It is still God's wonderful, matchless word. Other sections, like in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that not one jot or one tittle is ever going to be excluded. It's all going to be fulfilled. I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Through faith, through believing, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was at past age because she judged him faithful who had done one thing. What? Promise. She judged him, God, faithful who many, many years before had made this wonderful promise. You see, the Bible does tell the truth. The question then, the next one is, will God keep the promises of those truths that he has said in his word? And the answer is that she believed him faithful who had promised and that he would carry it out. In other words, what God has promised, what God has promised, he will perform. The third question I posited as we opened was, is he able? Is God able to do what he has promised? And there you turn to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, the third chapter. And in the 20th verse, it says, Now unto him who is able, who is able, that is able, unto him God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can do what? Ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is able. God is not only willing. God's word is not only truth. But God is able to take that truth of, God, of his word. He is willing to take that word and to do exceeding abundantly. To exceed abundance. Above all that we are able to do what? To think. You see, our thinking has been below par. Our thinking has not risen up to the vital privileges of God's wonderful matchless word. You and I can go as high as the promises of God, class. Here I am back in a class. You people. That's your good class anyway. Class or no. Uh, we can go as high as the greatness of God's word. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's the fly in the ointment. <laughs> if he'd only forgotten that last phrase, that'd have been a dandy, wouldn't it? But he didn't. It's there because God cannot do any more for us than we are willing for him to do with us. To the end that we believe God as sons of God and put into manifestation that which he legally accomplished for us, it comes into concretion and it starts to bless men and women's lives. I'd like for you to turn to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. This epistle of 1 John is alive and vital because it's addressed to the believers, the sons of God who are in fellowship with God's wonderful matchless word. And here in 1 John chapter 3 is a very wonderful verse 
of God's word in a very beloved verse among our people. Verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called what? The sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. That's a wonderful love of God that he would so arrange it that we could be sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We'll see it in a moment. But what manner of love he hath bestowed upon us, that we, human beings like we are, that we should be called the sons of God. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now, right now, are we the sons of God. Right now. Not when we die. Of course, then we'll be his sons too, but right now, tonight, born again of God's Spirit, filled with his power, we are his sons now. And being his sons now, we have a right to not only believe, but to walk on everything that sonship makes available. If your father is a multimillionaire, then you, his son, can utilize all that influence, everything else that your father has, because he is your father, you are his son legally. But it becomes vital in your life when you take the legal side of that sonship and start walking on it. And I'd like to say to you that the youngest son in the family has as many legal rights as any other son in the family. So it is in the family of God. The person who just got saved in the foundational class last week, two weeks ago, that person legally has just as many rights as others that were in that foundational class who have been saved for 20, 30, or 40 years. The question is not then from the legal side. The question then is from the vital side tonight. How can you make this legal side of our redemption vital in your life? The man who's only been a Christian for two weeks, he could only have made it vital for two weeks. The man who's been a Christian for 20 or 30 years, he can't have made it vital for 20 or 30 years if he knows the word. Now, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall absolutely sometime in the future be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall what? Be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right. If this is what we know, we know, then we've got to get to the place in our life that we quit messing around. We have to come to the place in our lives that, boy, that settles it. And we just start walking. We just start walking. And as we walk, the reality and the greatness of God's Word comes into concretion. Let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30. But of him... Of God, if you're of someone, you have seed in you. But of him are ye in whom? Christ Jesus. We are not in Jesus Christ. We are in whom? Christ Jesus. 
If it said that we were in Jesus Christ, the Bible fall to pieces. The accuracy of it would. Because we are not in his humility. Whenever the word Jesus is put forth, first it emphasizes his humility, the degradation that he suffered. Whenever Christ is put forth, first it emphasizes his messianic, his lordship ministry. You and I are not in his degradation. You and I are in the glorified one, Christ the messianic Lord, our Lord. We are in him who was at one time humiliated, suffered, died for us. Therefore, this wonderful verse says, but of him are ye of God, are ye in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus. And if we're in him, we're in him. So we have sonship from God by grace in a perpendicular way to us, but reciprocating in a perpendicular way, we who walk with the power of God vitally in this life, we are in Christ Jesus. To the end that we walk on the word in concretion, we are in Christ Jesus. That's the greatness of it. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, Christ Jesus, who of God was made unto us. He has made unto us wisdom. So a man says he lacks wisdom. Well, the word of God says Christ is what? Made unto us wisdom. Then there's no reason why we should remain stupid. If he is made unto us what? Wisdom. Then why has this not come into concretion, into manifestation? Because we have not renewed our minds and been transformed thereby to bring into reality in our day-by-day -day walk that which God spiritually put within us when he saved us. He gave us this wisdom. Isn't it the book of James that says, if any lack wisdom, let him ask a God who will give it to you years from now? No. If any of us lack wisdom, he said, ask a God who giveth liberally. Freely. You see, God has become, Jesus Christ became for us wisdom. This is why perhaps the first manifestation of the Spirit mentioned in Corinthians chapter 12 is wisdom. The manifestation of wisdom. He is made unto us wisdom. He is made unto us righteousness. He has made this unto us. And when I put on up here in my mind what God said he has made unto us in here, then it comes into concretion. It comes into our walk, into our day-by-day -day living reality. He has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, means he has set us apart. Before we are born again of God's Spirit, we are not set apart for heaven. But when we are born again of God's Spirit, He by His mercy and grace sanctifies us, sets us apart for heaven because it's eternal life in us. And so, not only is He made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, but what else? Redemption. And that's a tremendous reality. He has made unto us redemption. It is He who redeemed us and we have the guarantee of this. 
because of what he did for us legally, but in our day-by-day walk as we believe God's word, renew our mind and walk on it. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are just some of the vital aspects of our living in Christ Jesus. There are many more than I will be able to share with you tonight, but these that I am sharing with you are sort of, as far as my spiritual ministry tonight is concerned, at the top echelon of our walk with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearances, you know, sense knowledge-wise, and not glory in the depth of their heart spiritually. For whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God, or whether we be sober, it's for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but they should live unto whom? unto him who died for them and rose again. To live unto him is the vital aspect of our redemption. Live unto him. Wherefore, verse 16, henceforth know we no man after the flesh or the senses. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh or the senses, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the senses. Why? Because he ascended into heaven. Therefore, if any man be in Jesus, no. You see, again, what happened to your Bible if it was that? it just fall to pieces. We're not in Jesus. We are in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, what? Creature. All things of the mind, all things of the mind are passed away Behold, all things of the mind become what? New, if we are in whom? In, to the end that we are in him. All things up here pass away, and all things up here become new. That's what it says, that's what it means, and that's why it's so wonderful. And all things, verse 18, are of God, who hath, past tense, reconciled us to himself, past tense, and he reconciled us by Christ Jesus. No. If it said Christ Jesus again, what happened to the word of God? Paul, isn't it something? And then people say there's nothing to the Bible. You know why they say that? They've never read it. They've never studied it. They have never seen the mathematical exactness and the scientific precision with which the word really fits. For if it's God's word, it has to fit like a hand in a glove. And God cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. Because as we saw when we started tonight, God's word tells the truth. God will keep his promises and God is able to keep them. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. He hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, 
the one who came to earth was humiliated, Jesus, the humiliated one, but whom God raised from the dead, who is our resurrected Lord. He hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us. He hath given it to us. Class, ask yourself the question. If God has given it to you, have you got it? Whether you like it or whether you don't, have you got it? Ah, it's as simple as that. If I gave to you tonight this sing along the way, I gave you that. Whether you liked it or whether you didn't like it, you'd what? Have it. You'd be the possessor of it. Now, this is a tremendous truth here, people. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it is not the question. It says he hath given to us. He's given it to us. And the question is not whether, whether we like it or whether we don't like it. We've already got it. And the question, not really a question, the truth of it is we ought to learn to like it and ought to utilize what he gave us. That verse says, and we'll read it again, because hardly anybody ever recognizes the great truth of it. All things are of God, who hath, past tense, reconciled. Reconciled means to be brought back together that which has been separated. The Jew and the Gentile separated from God. God brought them back together through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Boy, what a tremendous truth. So in my day-by-day -day vital walk, as I manifest the greatness of the power of God, my ministry, your ministry, is the ministry of reconciliation. You and I must reconcile men and women to God. It was done in Christ Jesus, legally, understand? But vitally, how does it become vitally someone's joy? Only as we carry this ministry of reconciliation and show them what they have in Christ and they become Christians filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then they have arrived. This is our ministry. God reconciled us. It's as Reverend Wade said this morning to the campers, in the first session this morning, when he said he's already translated us, according to Colossians, we're seated in the heavenly. And as he said this morning, as somebody said, we're not looking up, we're looking down. <laughs> we're already up. That's true from God's point of view. The legal point of view, that's true. But what about the vital point of view? And from the vital point of view, we're still down here in this, whatever it is, earth someplace right, on this world, even though in God's point we're already seated with him in the future, but right now I'm living down here. Tonight I'm teaching here at the Way Biblical Research Center. Now vitally, vitally, we're here upon earth, and we have to make the abundance of the power of God to live for men and women. Therefore, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So if I do not live vitally with the legal points of that God has given me, how are other men and women going to learn how to live? They're not. You and I are the extension.
extenuation, is that a good word, of the greatness of the power of God in the world. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And if anybody's going to be reconciled to God today, if they're going to get born again of God's Spirit class, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and get a knowledge of God's Word in these last days and hours and time, you and I are going to have to do it. So you might as well get yourself by the seat of the pants and go to Kraken. Go to work. Because you and I have the ministry. He gave it to us. Now, you can, God can give you something. He can sit on it a lifetime, right? But he gave it to you not to sit on. He gave it to you to reconcile men and women to God. And people, men and women, need the Christ that you and I know from the accuracy of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. And you and I are the men and women God has chosen to do just that job. The tremendous truth. It says in verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses, their sins, unto them, and hath committed, committed unto us. You see in that verse before in 18, he says he's given to us the ministry. Now it says he's committed it to us. He's committed it. And if he committed it to us, we ought to become committed to him. <laughs> he committed it to us, so now we ought to become committed to him. And to the end we're committed to him, we manifest the vital side of the renewed mind. Committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What good would the ministry be without the word? It's the word that makes the ministry alive. And he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation because he's given us the word that will bring men to God and help them to walk in the greatness of the wonderful power of the revelation he set these words. Now then, verse 20, now then, because this ministry and this word has been given unto us, now then, right now, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. You see, this is our walk, our vital side of the renewed mind. So when you walk out of this place tonight, go in your shops and factories and out on the farms, your places of business, in the home. The Word says you're what? An ambassador. You know, this changes the drabness of a home when the realization comes to the husband and wife that they're ambassadors. It sort of takes the dullness out of dishwashing, even if you've got a dishwasher. It takes the dullness out of doing a little ironing. It takes the dullness out of a man standing at a machine that does nothing but go boom, 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 eight hours a day. That must be dull. That takes the dullness out of it. I don't see how a man can stand that stuff unless he gets the realization that he's a son of God and he's an ambassador. An ambassador can stand a lot of things. Some of us here tonight have proven it, right? Now then, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors. Boy, walk like one. That means you don't degrade Christ. You don't humiliate him. You don't degrade the word. You don't walk away from the word. You hold it up as his ambassador. You're not my ambassador. 
You are his ambassador. And he's the greatest. And therefore, being his ambassador, this week will be a tremendous week if you just walk with the greatness of that in your life. In verse 21 it says, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that you and I might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. So when you walk forth as an ambassador, how righteous are you? You have the righteousness of God? And I'd say that's pretty righteous, right? This you have spiritually, you put it up in your mind and you walk on it, then it's in concretion, in manifestation. Then the righteousness of God that you have spiritually comes into evidence among all the people that you are righteous before God. You love people, you love the Word, you love to teach, you love to help, you just walk with that wonderful righteousness of God. May I show you Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like for you to take a look at one of the great verses in here. Verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6. The greatest revelation ever addressed to the church is recorded in Ephesians. Where it says in verse 5 already that we are his sons by the work which Jesus Christ did. And he called us to himself to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He has made us acceptable is the text. He has made us lovely. He has made us lovely and acceptable in the beloved. In whom, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption. Sounds like 1 Corinthians again, doesn't it? One thirty a little while ago in whom we have redemption through his blood. The remission of sins is the text. The remission of sins according to the what? Riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. And may I say to you tonight, because I think this message needs to be known by God's people, there is no one who in the flesh is able to walk a perfect life. We need the love of God and we need to know that we have not only remission but forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So if you stumble and fall, there's only one thing to do. As it says in the, in the, in the epistle, we can confess our broken fellowship to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We have to come to the place to accept God's forgiveness also. Sometimes it's a little difficult for people. But the Word says this. And we have to renew our minds in vital living to believe what the Word says. Not only do we have remission, but we have forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, meaning good sense, having made known unto us the what? Mystery of his will. 
Well, if he has made known unto us the mystery of his will, if he has made it known, then we must know it. And we know it from God's word. His word is his will. We know it from his word. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the administration of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his, what? Glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after or when that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Isn't that wonderful? Glory be. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. First we heard the word, sounds like Romans, doesn't it? Romans 10, 17, faith cometh out by hearing. Hearing what? The word. So you hear the word, the word of God. You see, God's word tells the truth. And therefore, you hear that word, you believe that truth. God will keep his promise. He is able to perform that. So we heard that. We believed what we heard. And we were sealed, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that is unto the day of the redemption, the return of Christ. We're sealed that long. This is why we're already seated. And yet at the same time, we're seated, we're here upon earth to carry out the ministry of reconciliation with the word of reconciliation so that once again men and women may be blessed with the greatness and the wonderful power of God. That this word will be a living reality to people just like it is to you children, to you young people, and to you adults here in the auditorium tonight. Like it is to others of our people across the nations of the world. This is the ministry God has set within our midst. And this is the work we're unto God has called us. And this is why we here at the camp and in the way ministry, not only at the camp, but through our broadcast, through our tape ministry and other things around the world, make known again to God's people around the world the vitality of the Word of God in our day by day living. 